0: Hello, welcome to the uh, second weekly squeak on the 10th of January 2016. 2016. I think I'm going to have some sort of uh, introductory music at some point. I've got an idea, but I haven't had a chance to record it yet. For now, you'll just have to put up with this uh, talk show style, just straight in. It's okay. Well, it's been a very cold week. A cold week. Uh, For a couple of days, Last weekend, there was a low of about minus 11 degrees and then a high of about minus 5. And I know for some of you who've lived in maybe Scandinavian countries, Canada, even North North America, that may not seem that cold. But for me, uh, living in London, where actually it doesn't really get that cold, it's just kind of a bit average most of the time, and then living in Melbourne, where... I think the coldest I ever remember it was mainly zero or minus one. So for me, this was the coldest I have ever been. I guess it's that certain uh, point where after a certain temperature, you don't feel much of a difference between sort of minus one and minus 15, or I don't know, but it's still felt bloody cold. And of course, being the stupid idiot I am and just getting sick of public transport, I decided to ride my bike uh, during a minus seven afternoon and i felt feelings or didn't feel feelings as it were in parts of my body i have never experienced them in. uh as a bike rider you're used to not feeling your hands and your, your fingers and your toes when you're riding but i couldn't feel my thighs that was that was something new not not altogether pleasant of course and much like extreme heat, much like the days I remember in Melbourne where it would get to 45 to 50 degrees for several weeks, everything sort of starts slowly coming to a bit of a grinding halt and slowing down. Snow gets in the way, it blocks roads, uh, blocks pavements. And this is something I actually find quite annoying and I was sort of disappointed to see that whilst the salt, grits, sand, whatever you want to call it, the roads... No one ever really does the footpaths or bike paths, and it's dangerous, and it means you can't actually use them. And yeah, I never really got. why People don't do that. It's slightly disheartening uh, when that doesn't happen. And a week later, after the snow, and a lot of the bike paths are still unusable. So I had to get public transport a bit, which I kind of get annoyed with because everyone else is using it and it's damp and ugh. I. Know. I've never really understood why people get so delighted with snow and so look forward to it, unless you're into skiing or winter sports or something like that. I mean, it's great to begin with, but after about a day when it starts sort of melting a bit or freezing over or turns to slush from people walking through it, it's just gross and dangerous and just gets everywhere and just dirty footprints everywhere. And I don't know, I've never really got the attraction of it. Anyway... This has all sort of led me to realizing that I cannot manage European winters anymore and next year I am gonna gonna leave. I'm gonna go and find somewhere else to be um, I can be a digital nomad. So there's no reason to stay here so why not? So I think my new year's resolution after a couple of months of preparation is to try and live in sort of 20 degrees give or take 10 degrees no 20 degrees give or take maybe five degrees on the negative. Uh, maybe 10. Yeah, give or take 10 degrees is going to be what I'm going to aim for for most of the year. I think it's possible. Watch this space. So uh, due to the weather and due to sort of this week being the first week where things sort of started happening again, meetups and events started happening again, last weekend uh, I decided I would go and visit some galleries and museums here. Uh, the galleries and museums here could be a little bit expensive, so sometimes you sort of look for uh, enough free time to make the most of the money's worth, I guess. Um, I went to quite a few, so I'm going to actually cover a bit of them individually, and you can read the links in the accompanying blog post. So first I went to the Botticelli Renaissance exhibition. This was sort of a big-ticket exhibition here, uh, and it finished. It finishes in the end of January, so I uh, thought I should probably go and see it before it finishes. Firstly, booking my tickets in advance and then saying I could book a time slot. And of course, yeah, I couldn't and blah, 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 all the usual sort of furore and mistakes and confusion with using German ticketing systems. Um, but I still managed to buy a ticket online, get there, massive queue, no signs or instructions of what the queue is for. So you join the queue and then you realize you don't need to and blah, blah, blah. But I finally actually got in pretty quickly. And it's always funny with German exhibitions, i found that uh, there was always these huge queues, but once you get inside, it's surprisingly, uh, it's, it's busy, but it's not annoyingly busy with lots of people in the way. It moves pretty quickly. So the exhibition itself, it starts with an introduction to Botticelli's work uh, and then artists who came after him, who he inspired and influenced, which is quite a lot. And I found this uh, quite interesting because um, this is actually the the vast majority of the exhibition. It's maybe 60-40 work inspired by and then work actually created by him, and I'll I'll come back to that. Um, And this is interesting because you realise that the the copying culture, the inspirational culture of famous artworks was more, more common in the past. And at that time, artists didn't always sign their work because often they were commissions for people. They were like a photographer taking a photo of a famous family. These days, um, photographers don't always well, photographers don't sign their work directly, and artists would do the or wouldn't do the same thing. So, actually, being completely certain that a work is from an artist of that era, you're never actually sure. So, a lot of it is hypothesizing. Um, and now analysing work that you do know is by this person and seeing how similar it matches in style to others. The interesting thing here that, and I think this is still the case, but I've always found it quite interesting with very famous and prolific artists, is that often the artist himself doesn't even do everything. So you have teams working under instruction, much like, I guess, animation houses these days. I read something recently about the animation houses in can't quite remember where, but somewhere in Southeast Asia that does most of the artwork for The Simpsons. You know, you you sort of just have people following instruction from a, from the main artist. So there's always gonna be slight differences in style as well. So actually saying if something is officially belongs to this famous person or not is is sometimes difficult. And it's it sort of leads to another thought that I've always had around this kind of production is that um, these works that we now consider high art, actually for their time, they were kind of the, uh, not mass manufactured, but they were copied. There were lots of copies. There was a couple of artworks there that you saw, like five or six different versions of the same artwork tweaked slightly for different clients. You know, it's, it's copying basically. And that we now consider something that is so high art and actually was it when it came out? Who knows? And Botticelli is another one of those artists who was popular in his time and then fell out of favor for quite a while and has only become popular again in the past hundred or so years. And it's always interesting when that happens. Sort of makes you feel optimistic that there's hope for all of us, I suppose. Now, the next exhibition I went to see was the Jean Dupuffet. I will attempt with my French accent there. And some of you may or may not be aware, but many years ago I played guitar in a British indie band called Art Brute for the first few years anyway. And the name came from Jean Dubuffet's, that was a terrible pronunciation, uh, his art movement, Art Brute. So the opportunity to see an exhibition on his work was very tempting. It was quite a small exhibition, but quite inspiring because his whole notion was that Art isn't for highly trained artists, it can be for people who just have something they need to say. Uh, And sometimes I often want to express myself in artworks, and I did some sketching yesterday as well. Uh, But I'm not what I would consider conventionally very good at it. But sort of realising that if you have a strong enough message and just a style that you can find that suits you then maybe your, your output is, is valid and seeing work like his is inspiring for that. Um, it's, it's sort of something I already knew. I mean, I've always been a big fan of David Shrigley. He's an English artist who does something similar. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was encouraging, again, to to maybe try some some ideas and to try some new art styles. I'm sort of working on a, a few ideas there. Then the next day I went to, from Hopney to Holbein. And this is the, now I've been working on how to pronounce umlauts. This is from the, as far as I'm right, the, as far as I think, the Wurth collection. Uh, Wurth are a a large company here um, that's philanthropic with art collections and things like that. And this, it's finished now. Um, So it was the Monday afternoon. Monday day, but I went in the afternoon, they had free entry for the exhibition. So I took the opportunity to go for the, the last free Monday. And again, there was a big queue and I was worried that I wouldn't get in and have enough time to see everything, but I did, I got in. And it was it was actually an outstanding collection with some of my favourite artists there, like Munch um, and Picasso and so many more, Hockney, of course, and he yeah, had just so much uh, art from amazing artists and relics and items and all sorts of things, just all in one place with no particular pattern or reason to them, just just there because they're part of this collection. And it was pretty amazing and and quite inspirational, actually. And um, going off at a slight uh, tangent, but whilst I was at the uh, the gallery on the Sunday, uh, there was another exhibition there called uh, Double Vision, uh, sort of about black and white prints and, and things like that with a couple of artists. Uh, one artwork I came across there was by William Kentridge, uh, which sounds like a very English name. I think he was South African, maybe. Um, but the artwork was called Parcours d'Atelier. Parcours d'Atelier. And it's sort of randomish ish scrawl of lines. But it, for some reason it made me think of like network maps, And then it just gave me a sudden flash in my head about uh, cabling. And, um, well, my granddad was involved with submarine cables, these cables that actually power most of the internet under the continent. In his day, they were copper wires and now they're optic fibres. And I just wanted to have a quick look into, like, where they are and, and how they're connected and do we still use them and et cetera, et cetera. And I was fascinated to come across a couple of websites and this main one you'll see in the notes, but submarinecablemap.com, these interactive maps of where these cables are. And I've put a few other links um, in the blog post about some history and especially around wartime, about how important they are and were to communication networks and when there's uh, typhoons or tsunamis, how they can sometimes get broken and just sever a country's connection to the internet. And it's... It was quite amazing um, and uh, he helped lay TAT1 and there's a link to a Wikipedia article about that which was between the UK or Scotland and North America, actually Newfoundland and Canada but they sort of connect the other continents as well. And it was just interesting reading about that too and the and, uh, boat that he was on to help lay it. Um, and there's also yeah, a good article which is a strange source I know on the Daily Mail about them as well. So you know, if you're an internet user, it pays to understand. Like, how you're getting supplied the internet? It's quite amazing actually. Uh, and finally, I'm going to cover meetups this week. Um, this was the first week in 2016 where meetups here in Berlin sort of got started again, and I went to a few. Uh I went to a rather average talk on building large tech teams. I say average because well, firstly, the teams that the presenter had experience from didn't to me seem that large uh and just a lot of the advice just was nothing particularly revolutionary, and he contradicted himself a little bit. I found um so yeah not not the not the best talk, but okay. So I jumped out of that pretty early and went to um, a good poetry night at an English bookshop here called Curious Fox, packed to the rafters. Uh, not bad poetry, actually. And the bookshop was a very sort of suitable venue to escape from the cold and listen to some poetry. Then um, on Tuesday, no, when, Wednesday, Wednesday, I think, uh, I went to Hack, Hackers. Berlin, which is a bit of a play on words of hackers, as in the technical sense, and hacks, which uh, is English slang for journalists. So it was sort of about, well, journalists who work in technology and uh, talking about um, journalistic security and reporting and uh, database journalism and things like that. And there were two very good talks. Uh, oh, sorry, three. Three good talks. Three talks. Um one from a current American journalist talking about how to protect your sources and things like that, which was very interesting. And there's a link to the meetup page if you want to find more details about those. There was another American guy who had worked on a sort of CMS to feed mobile apps, which was very interesting. I kind of felt like he was promoting something that sort of already existed, but anyway, it was interesting and fair play for giving it a go. And finally, there was Tom Steinberg who founded uh, My Society And actually I'd hung out a couple of times this week with um, talking about the power of data visualization, about visuals uh, in articles. So it was a very interesting uh, meetup, actually, in a really strange part of Berlin, Uh, this weird sort of pocket just off of Alexanderplatz towards Kreuzberg. There's all these old Plattenbau, as they're called here, like old tower blocks, but just dead, just the snow was still on the cars. The snow was still on the pavement. It looked like nobody had been there. It was just, yeah, weird, weird. And then on Thursday, I spoke at the Berlin uh, Ruby group about writing plugins for Jekyll. It was busier than I expected. It was quite a good meetup. Uh, I think my talk was probably maybe a bit light for a lot of the attendees, but hey, um, it was interesting and uh, I love kind of static site generators, so it was good to talk about it and explain how one works and things like that as well. And finally, uh, Craft Beer Festival on Friday, (laughs) which was good fun. And uh, it was very hot and very busy, so a lot of the beer didn't necessarily taste its best, I must admit. By the time you sort of got in, got out, sat down, and the small servings you usually get at kind of festivals, it was like
1: you were ready to go and get another one again.
0: so, yeah, that, that, that's the, the week that was, the weekly squeak. Lots of interesting things going on. Um, some other articles to have a look at. Uh, I did a lot of work on Friday about uh, chip shop and turning it into a board game as opposed to sort of random card game it's been maybe up until now. And you can read a blog post about that. Uh, I also wrote an article for SitePoint on server-side Swift with a project called Perfect, which is really interesting. And finally, the article on Estonia I've been writing for the Next Web since about November got published. Uh, and that's been getting some really good feedback, um, which, which is great. So that's the weekly squeak for this week. I hope there's some topics there that interested you and feel free to post comments or reach out to me on Twitter with uh, any thoughts or points of discussion you'd like to continue. And I'll see you next week. Cue non-existent theme music.